0: You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. All right. You ready to study the word of God today? Amen. Okay, We got a mixed crowd today. That's okay. Um, I'm amped up. You know, while I was watching those announcements, I don't always see them. I know what's going to be shared. And I just was like, prayer, 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 prayer. It was just like this beating of a drum. And it's so interesting because it actually ties into what I'm going to be sharing with you today. You know, I've had the um, I have the privilege of being able to do a life alongside so many of you, and I, I do my best to try to you know meet up for coffee or lunch or breakfast. And as I kind of dive into some of your lives, I know that many people here are struggling with some real world problems, and there are many that are struggling, um, you know, with anxiety one of the questions that i always ask and just so you know it's the questions that my overseers and my mentors ask me whenever i'm going through a challenging season the first question are you spending time in the word and are you praying and i can attest i'm not going to put this on you but i'll attest for myself that many times when i feel overwhelmed or i feel like there's just too many things going on and my mentors like look me in the eye and ask me that direct question My honest and sincere answer is almost always, well, no, I've been a little off. And so there's certainly a correlation. And so at the Pines, we wanna help. You don't need to come to a group in order to be able to pray, but we wanna provide many outlets for you to do so because prayer is a connection with God. It is a dialogue with God. And there is something powerful that happens when a body of saints comes together and prays for one another and prays for a nation and prays for a geographical area or prays over the needs of your home. I can tell you these men that I bonded with have been an answer to prayer for me on a Tuesday night. And we have got real, real with each other. And because there is a a bond of trust that's been formed. So I don't have to go in with these guys with a projected image of I'm the pastor. I have it all together. I can be like... Man, Jess and I are bumping heads. Like there is a little disorder. I I need I need some grace. I need some wisdom on how to navigate this with my wife. And I know that those men in that room are going to take that charge and they're going to pray over me. And they're also going to speak the truth in love. And so, I want to invite you, you know, after service, before service on Tuesday nights to join one of these groups, because prayer is so important. So that was just a little plug, a little segue, Um, but it ties right into what we are talking about today. So as I've been meeting with you, and one of the common themes that keeps coming up is how many people are struggling with anxiety. Anxiety this, anxiety that. It's like we're lost and disoriented in a forest of anxiety, and we can't see the path forward. And it's bogging us down. And actually, as you begin to study anxiety, even from a scientific standpoint, you'll see that from just the 1990s up until now, which is crazy, that was like 30 years ago. But anyway, I feel so weird to say, but you'll see that anxiety has more than doubled in the U.S. population. In fact, 27% or more than one in every four people in the U.S. struggle with anxiety. Maine is actually, is 24%, but the United States as a whole is 27%. We are actually ninth in the world, according to a uh, 2021 Gallup report. And interestingly enough, the eight countries that are before us that struggle with anxiety, some up to 74%, are all war-torn countries. So those eight, it's hard to, I mean, it's easy to understand and to justify. They don't know where their meal's coming from. They don't know if they're going to wake up in the morning. They don't know if their home's going to be there. They don't know if they're going to have to make an exodus to another country where their food's going to come, if they have water. We can understand the struggle that comes alongside that way of life for those eight countries, some of which being Afghanistan, Turkey, Jordan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. But then you have the United States. Arguably one of of the most affluent nations in the world, almost in opulence when the homeless community is, are are sporting uh, smartphones, right? And so we live in a different time. Poor means something different in the United States than it means in Tajikistan. Are you following me? And so our anxiety doesn't necessarily come come from the same thing their stress comes from. It doesn't come from, are we going to have a meal? It comes from a myriad of different things. And so let's, before we go any further, just define this word. Anxiety, and I believe we have the definition on the screen, is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. One author described anxiety as long-term worry. You know, I I struggled with anxiety and, and still it tries to rear its ugly head in my life. And I would never define it as that. I had a different name for anxiety and I called it problem solving. We got any problem solvers in the house? Okay. I was just trying to solve a problem. So mine was you have anxiety. I just tried to problem solve. You should be more like me. But what, if I was to be honest, what I was actually doing was internalizing all of these problems at the same time. And that's a good way to look at it is anxiety is not just taking a problem alone. It's taking all your problems at once in trying to spin these plates and trying to find a solution. We all know the idiom, you can't eat a pizza at one time. You have to eat it bite by bite, slice by slice. And imagine just folding a pizza and trying to eat it. In college, I think I did attempt to do that, but it was it, it didn't work out. But anxiety is trying to take everything all at once. And you have all of these open tabs and you have all of these blue orbs swirling and you're not gaining any traction, which leads into that insecurity and that fear that ultimately will take you from anxiety into depression. Anxiety, you're still trying to do something with it. You're still trying to like find some kind of solution, but eventually it becomes so heavy because you weren't meant to bear that weight that you end up succumbing to depression. And I don't want that for any of you. And as I look at these numbers, you know, just scientifically, I can just say, point out in the room, one, two, three, four, you're struggling. One, two, three, four, you're struggling. One, two, three, four. And these numbers could even be increasing. And so as believers, we have an authority and we have a conviction. Science has a lot to say about anxiety, but guess what? Scripture has a lot to say about it as well. And I'm more interested in what scripture has to say. And so one final illustration that I'll give you to kind of wrap your head around anxiety. So taking on all these problems at once. Have you ever been to the circus? Uh, It doesn't matter if you have, but you've probably seen this. You've seen a lion tamer. So you got... King of the jungle, this big, hulking, huge lion that could destroy every single one of us in this room. If we were all to team up on this lion, this lion could probably destroy and rip every single one of us apart in this room. So King of the Jungle, it's a title well-deserved. Yet we see in a circus, a man standing alone with a whip and a chair, somehow keeping that lion at bay. How is that possible? Well, as you begin to dive in and study, there's actually a reason why they're holding a chair. The lion knows that it could destroy that person standing in front of it. But what it does is it focuses in on there are four points to the chair, four stands, and then the whip. And it becomes too much For the lion to process, there are too many things that the lion is trying to pay attention to. And by analyzing all of those things at the same time, it actually immobilizes the lion in fear. So it's not that the lion is scared of the man, the lion knows that it could take the man, but there are so many things that the lion is trying to process all at once. It becomes, it becomes, re- it, it's rendered useless and becomes immobilized. And that's the same way that many of us approach anxiety. It's not that you can't find a solution on these specific issues, it's that you're entertaining them all at once. And who do you think is whispering those things into your ear? It is indeed the enemy. So I want to help give you a path. Through the maze of anxiety. Because that's another good way to look at it. Anxiety is a maze. You're never going to be able to find your way out. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And so the Bible says this. We're going to start talking about solutions. First Thessalonians 5.18. This is out of the New King Jimmy version. And it says this. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Man, if I had a dollar for every single person that told me, what's the will of God for my life? I'm just looking for the will of God for my life. What's the will of God for my life? It is right here. The will of God for your life is to give thanks in all things. Now let's make a distinction. It does not say, now leave that up. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you. It does not say in in everything, wait, in everything, give thanks for this. It didn't say, it says in everything, not for everything. We don't give God thanks for everything. There are certainly things that the enemy mounts against us, that the world mounts against us. They're not going to say, "Praise, praise God! I'm I so glad that my car broke down." But God can do something in the midst of that, an internal work where we depend, we're more dependent on Him. That's far more valuable than our tire you know, breaking down on the side of the road. So we give God thanks in the midst of it. And what that does is it keeps that anxiety, that depression, that worry, that fear from overtaking us. It puts God on the throne of our heart. And I want you to hear this because some of you have been through things that are far greater than a broken, than than a popped tire on the side of the road. Some of you have navigated horrible things in your life. And I'm not trying to diminish those things. I'm not asking any of you to deny your circumstances, rather not be defined by them. So we don't live shackled to these things. There has to come a moment where you step over the threshold of this thing that's held you for so long and that you come from being a victim into victory. You cannot be both simultaneously. And so thanksgiving, as we're asked to give thanksgiving, it leads to something. It leads to gratitude. So once we give thanks, it leads to gratitude taking root inside of our heart. Okay, that's not hard to understand because we all know in a physical sense that exercise leads to health, right? If you're unhealthy, one of the questions a trainer would ask you, what are you doing for exercise? What is your diet? And if you're not exercising... And you're eating Cocoa Pebbles every night at nine o'clock, okay? And you're using a big bowl, the mixing bowl, right? The way cereal should be consumed, which by the way, that is the biggest like cereal being like lauded as like breakfast, the way you should start your day is such a scam. But anyway, right? Right? We would understand that that's going to result in being unhealthy. But if somebody says, I'm watching what I eat, you know, I'm I'm making sure I stay away from boxes and things that are in packages and I'm trying to eat it as it comes from the earth and I'm exercising, we could probably... Come, come walk away with, that's a pretty healthy individual. The same is true. If you're giving Thanksgiving, you're going to have gratitude rooted in your heart. It's just going to be a byproduct of you giving thanks, but you have to actually give thanks. Sometimes we make it this, like, this nebulous idea, like, oh, you know, I'm thankful, but like, well, show me the actions. How are you thankful? Are you opening your mouth and confessing your thankfulness to God, to others, for them? for the meal that you have, for the vehicle that you have, for the spouse that you have, for the children that you have, for the congregation that's around you, for the clothes that you have. All throughout the Bible, you'll find the word rejoice, right? Re is a prefix. It means read, to repeat. It means to take joy in the things that God has already done for you. And as you do that, it begins to change and shift your perspective. So rather than focusing in on the problems that are mounted against you for that day, you've elevated yourself above because you have fed on the faithfulness of God and all the great things he has done for you. And the reason that so many people struggle in this area is because they have this, again, this, this ethereal idea of like Thanksgiving. You must open your mouth to give thanks. Okay. Well, you should be able to look at my life. That's like kind of like the the old married couple that says, you know, like, why don't you tell your wife, your lover? I told her the day that I married her. And if I ever change my mind, I'll tell her again. That is stupid. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. I should be telling my wife that's the, the last thing that she should ever have to worry about. I should be communicating to her. I love you, man. You look hot today. Like I can't keep my hands off of, like she should know without a shadow of a doubt. I should be flirting with her, pursuing her, leaving her notes. Like she should know like, man, this guy is like infatuated with me. That is a healthy thing. She shouldn't be playing this guessing game. Like, is he into me? Like he's not the same. I should, I should, I shouldn't create that kind of space. So The same is true. We need to give thanks with our mouth. We should be able to look at somebody. And we've been around those people, right? Like, man, that guy is just, he has so much. He's such a grateful person. And you want to be around those people. Because we're going to talk about the opposite of those people in a second. See, sometimes you can get better understanding of something by looking at what it isn't. Complaining is the opposite of gratitude. So here's gratitude. I'm telling you, you all need gratitude and you get gratitude by giving thanks and you get, and you give thanks by opening your mouth and sharing it with the people that are in your life and God. He's one of them. That's how you give thanks. It's not some weird way. Like, I'm just, I just got thanks in my heart. No, open your mouth and tell people you're thankful for them. Tell God you're thankful for them. But, and you know what? It's interesting about that. Like, we don't struggle with complaining. Oh, we'll complain. We'll complain to anybody that'll listen, right? You've been on Facebook lately? Oh, uh, can't believe I'm having the worst day in the world. Complain, complain, complain. Just trying to garner all this sympathy and attention for you. Complaining, the opposite, means this. is defined as this. Expressing dissatisfaction or annoyance about something. Alphonse Carr said this. Some people grumble that roses have thorns i am grateful that thorns have roses what a beautiful way to look at you know a situation where you say well how can i give god thanks in this well there's an opportunity right there it's how you look at it okay um the Bible says in the book of Jude, and, and we're going to kind of camp out here, and it's going to get a little heavy. If you've ever read the book of Jude, it's one of the smallest books in the Bible, but it is pretty weighty. It's poetic too, but here we go. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. Man, it's getting spicy. God is getting spicy. He's about to. He's about to drop the hammer here like he's bringing he's bringing judgment what is he going to bring judgment on let's keep reading he says on all the in their ungodliness they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him huh at first glance it sounds like a battle between god and like culture or maybe Hollywood, pop music, tabloid magazines are about to, about to get their due. The sin in the world that we see like, yeah, God, bring your judgment on them. After all, they must be whose Jude is describing these ungodly needs. But if you keep reading this scripture, that was 14 to 15. I'm about to show you verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. He's talking to believers. He's talking to believers and he's talking about, you think like, okay, well, these believers, like, are they murdering? Are they committing adultery? They're complaining. They're grumbling. They're malcontents. In other words, they're modern day Karens, if you want to use a slang, okay? They're like, all right, uh, I want to, angel, Michael, the angel, I need to talk to your manager. You bring God down here uh, because I have a problem, all right? Somebody told me that there are no baby Karens, that people just adopt this name later in life. I just thought that was interesting, and I was really racking my head to try to think of a baby Karen. I'm sure you probably know one, but it's just, anyway, that's just a side trail of somebody, something somebody told me. They are being judged because of their lack of gratitude, not because of some sin that we would perceive as more grievous or devastating. Because we all have a running list of the sins. You know what I'm talking about. People don't have a hard time throwing up on social media the big sins that God is like, well, these these are just weaknesses, but these are really bad sins. But here's God doubling down on the complaining in your heart while you're trying to persecute other people for the sins that they've been ensnared with. Well, you could say that's just some obscure scripture. You already said that's a small book, Matt. So maybe that's not congruent with the rest of the Bible. Well, let's let the Bible define the Bible. Okay. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay, there's one scripture. John 6, 43. Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Numbers 14, 27. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Why are they evil? Who are grumbling against me? I have heard their complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. You see, God hates complaining because it's essentially saying, I don't like the way you are doing things. And you know what? If I were you, I'd probably do things a little bit differently. Do you see how dangerous that is? You want to look at the guy that's shooting some kind of chemical into his veins and cast judgment on him and it's wrong and it's going to destroy him. And we need to call a sin, a sin. But that person knows that they're broken and that they need help. Pride changes the way that you see the world. It changes and taints and perverts and distorts the way that you see God and the way that you see yourself. And somehow it deceives you to the point that you're in a position actually telling God the way things should be going down in your life. I know this is a hard message, man, but this is such an insidious thing that can take root inside of our hearts. Complaining. First of all, who wants to, be, who wants to hang out with a complainer? Oh, it's exhausting, dude, to just hear somebody complain it like, sucks the life out of you. But if you hang out with somebody that's, like, grateful and has a cheerful heart and and a thankful spirit, I want to be around those people, like, all the time, right? Get better, not bitter. In our house, um, you know, I'd rather have my kids in an all-out fight. I'd rather have one of them walking out with a black eye because, you know what? They're just trying to conflict resolution, Okay, they just took it a step further. I can work with that. They're trying to work out their issues, but I will not tolerate complaining. And we, we applaud these movies and we take our children to watch these movies where these kids speak so disrespectfully to their parents and they complain. And then at the end, they're rewarded. And then we wonder why we're, faced, we're looking at the problems our society has today. I'd rather have my kids watch Braveheart than some of the movies that come out in California and Florida. I'm just being dead serious, man. I can explain that. The Bible's full of righteous killing. I can go ahead and explain that. I'm not justifying killing, but what I am saying is that complaining is something that we have looked at as just a really small thing, but it's actually a very, very big thing and it will destroy it will turn into gossip. It could destroy this community. And I'm not speaking because something's happening in this community, but I'm sharing these things so that we keep our hearts pure towards our brothers and sisters, towards God, towards our spouses and our children, so these things don't pop up in our, in our lives because it will ultimately lead us to a place that we do not want to be. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to focus a little bit on the scientific side. Complaining even affects things in the natural. Okay. This is straight out of a textbook. So just so you understand this, I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. Plasticity is a term used in neurology to explain how we uh, we learn new things via communication between our neurons inside of our mind. Okay. Stay with me. Some of you guys have flashbacks of like 11th grade science. When you learn something new, such as like a language new p- or a or, uh, a new math concept, new pathways of communication begin developing in your brain. And the more that you practice this new thing that you're learning, the more efficient those pathways get. So, so when you start to learn Spanish, it's like this thin pathway, and you got to really think about the word that you're going to use in place of dinner, or hello, or my name is. But as you continue to access this pathway from English to Spanish, this new concept that you're learning, it gets larger, and larger and now it's two lanes and now it's three lanes and now you're fluent and you you just know when to flip into spanish and you know when to flip into english you're not thinking about it you've created this neuro pathway where it just automatically comes through so you can so the and the brain does this so it conserves energy so you're not constantly trying to like create this thing so it naturally comes out of you so even like at the beginning when you're learning how to drive a car you're like three and six And you're like this. And now you're sitting there scrolling and changing the radio and eating a hoagie. And you're doing all those things you shouldn't be. Shame on you. But you are. And so, because your brain has become so comfortable, you've created these pathways. Well, unfortunately, your brain does the same thing for complaining. And it becomes... These pathways get so big that it just becomes automatic and you don't even know that you're doing it because you've created these pathways, revisiting these things over and over and over again. And so in a way, you have to rewire your brain, which is actually scriptural because the Bible says to take every thought captive and to make it obedient to God. Notice and say God's going to take every thought captive. It is your responsibility to take those thoughts captive and to make them obedient to God, to release them. The Bible says to cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because you weren't meant to carry them. I'm just gonna be brutally honest that some of you in this room care too much and you need to care less. Now, I know the knee-jerk reaction, especially for somebody that's, that's wired like me, like a D personality, is like, well, I don't wanna be lazy. I don't, I don't wanna just, you know, like I, I wanna make sure that I'm giving this my full. You giving it your full, giving your all is trusting the Lord with it. Because it's not until you give it to Lord that you can actually begin to, to activate and step into faith. As long as you're carrying it, faith hasn't entered the equation. You have to release those things. They will consume you. They will destroy you. Actually, and then last thing it says, complaining is linked to anxiety, depression, and studies have actually shown and are showing still to this day that that there are huge increases in your chances of developing dementia. Complaining and anxiety are directly tied to the way that you manage anxiety over the course of your life. Like they're directly connected. And as science unveils more, the bond is getting even stronger. And like, yeah, this, this is this is a result. So it's those people that are eating bacon, drinking wine, and, and you know, smoking. I'm not telling you to just smoke a cigarettes, I'm not telling you to do any of those things. But you ever see those 107-year-old people? And you're like, what did you do? How did you get to 107? I eat bacon every morning and, you know, I just I do whatever I want. And there, there, there's a, I don't recommend that, but there's a lightness to them. They don't care as much. Whereas somebody like me that's like, I got to make sure that I drink the right kind of water. I can't drink water from my faucet. And now, oh, did you hear about this? Man, if you read every single article that's on WebMD, you're going to screw up your life. Okay? So stay away from it. Okay, the Bible says this in closing. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining and arguing. Everything. Some things, most things. No, everything. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. We are living in a crooked and depraved generation and God is saying that the way to being blameless and pure without fault is to let go of complaining, let go of anxiety, let go of bitterness. Do not hold on to these things. Trust them with the Lord. If you're going to complain, if there's a situation that is driving you insane, then go to the Lord. David said he brought his complaints to the Lord, but what we don't do is complain in open air. Where nobody can do or bring any kind of resolve to it. It creates an atmosphere. So it says, Become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which in which you shine like stars in the universe, what beautiful poetry God is saying, when you are pure, when you let go of that anxiety, when you don't try to problem solve everything and you trust and invite me into the situation, when you take those thoughts captive, you actually shine in this dark world. People will see that there's something different about you. There's a carefree, there's a peace that you bring into the room where you bring. My wife used to say, you know, when we were newly married, like I I did, I had a lot of anxiety. And she'd be like, I can just feel your anxiety when you walk in the room, like you're like this big stress ball. And I certainly, you know, as as we started to have kids, I was like, I don't want my kids to get this. And I was, I was was doing a lot of problem solving, but what I was doing is I was worrying. And I didn't want my house to be a house filled with anxiety of like, this thing's going to break, this thing's not going to work. How are we going to take care of this? I wanted to bring peace. And I haven't arrived. I'm still trying to get there by the grace of God. But what I've learned is in those moments that I feel myself leaning one way, I, bring, I, tr- I try to cast my cares on God. So how do we shine? By doing the opposite, by showing gratitude. The opposite of complaining is gratitude. Melody Beatty said this, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. I want you to hear that. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos into order, confusion to clarity. I love this. It could turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into, Into a friend. The Bible says in Psalm 103:2, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. We can forget. We can forget what God has done for us. We can forget the sea He split, the provision. He brought, we can forget all of those things. So we have to be intentional to remind ourselves to remember and to rejoice so that we create the neural pathways in our mind of thanksgiving and gratitude, not grumbling and complaining and malcontent. See the English word, okay, I got a little bit more, but the English word thank shares the same root as think. So think and thank. Thankfulness is intimately connected to thoughtfulness. They share the same root word. So we can't be grateful without being mindful of the many benefits we enjoy in life if we're not conscious of the blessings that God has bestowed on us. We don't take time to take inventory. Many of you, if I asked you what was going wrong in your life, you could just hand me a list. You might have it in your pocketbook right now. I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. But if I were to provoke you and say, tell me, what are all the amazing things that are going on in your life? You might be a little speechless. You might be able to rattle off one or two things. And then you'd go Ugh. and that that shouldn't be the case. We have so many things to be grateful for. Lastly, I'll say this. Jean Baptiste Missou said, "Gratitude is the memory of the heart. To express gratitude is to share in the divine nature of God himself." Because in the Bible at the very beginning, in the first chapter, He said, then God looked over all he had made and he saw and it was very good. I want you to stand. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I don't know what kind of week you had. I don't know what kind of year you're having, but you may have resonated with the idea, the illustration of being in a forest filled with anxiety, disoriented, spun around, and you have no idea how to make your way through. And I am here to tell you as a messenger of the Lord that your path, the path that God has set before you to get out of that maze of anxiety is gratitude is taking the time to remember. Is taking the time to rejoice. It will change your countenance. It will rewire your mind. It will change the disposition of your heart. It'll change the way that you see ensuing problems. Now you can approach them with faith and conviction instead of trying to maybe push it down further the road because you're afraid. The book of Colossians says this, as therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him. We were meant to live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. God wants you to be rooted in him. He wants you to be built up in him. He wants you to live your life in him. Estab- and we we access this by faith, just as you were taught Abounding in thanksgiving. There's that word again. We can't escape it. It's a common theme all throughout scripture. Many of the problems that we're facing are are a result of our lack of willingness to give thanks. We're holding on to our thanks, waiting for some kind of breakthrough. And we're missing the breakthrough because we're not giving thanks. That word abounding in thanksgiving means to exist in large numbers. And that's what my prayer over each and every single one of you is that you live a life that is abounding in thanksgiving, that is abounding in gratitude. You're a magnet for God's blessings and for God's favor and for the opportunity to be able to sow and to pour into others because you've cultivated the garden of your heart with thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If there's anybody in this room that as I was reading say, you know what, Matt, I, I got to go all the way back to the beginning. I don't even hear from the Lord. I don't have a relationship with him. Somebody just grabbed my hand and dragged me to church today, but I want to be able to hear him the way that you are talking about. I want to be able to give him my life. I've struggled with depression, anxiety. I've tried every chemical under the sun and I want to be set free from it today. And I want to know that I have a relationship with you, that you walk with me in this life and that I have all of eternity to spend with you. If that's you in this room and you have not given Jesus complete ownership of your life, I want you to raise your hand and I want to lead you in a prayer. It's the most important decision that you can make. I see those hands and I just want to thank you. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Now there's a cost. A lot of ministers don't want to talk about this. The cost is that you give him everything. It's much like a man and a woman walking down a, an aisle to get married. That bride is saying goodbye to all of her old boyfriends. It doesn't make her perfect. It doesn't mean that she's not going to make mistakes. It just means that she's given her life to that man for the rest of her life. And that's what we do with Christ. And so I'm going to lead us all in a prayer for those that raise their hand. And I want you to repeat after me Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my sin before you, and I repent and turn away from it. I embrace the truth of your word, I elevate it above what I see, feel, and experience. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you my all. You are the Lord of my life. And now I want to pray for you. Lord, you saw every sincere heart and hand that was raised in this room today. And I am asking at this very moment that you would touch them in a way that cannot, they can't be talked out of. That they would know without a shadow of a doubt that they've had an encounter with the creator of heaven and earth. I pray that they would know that you'll never leave nor forsake them. That you would flood their hearts and their minds with the love that you have for them personally. And that you would empower them with your grace to run this race in such a way that they win the prize. And I want to pray for everybody else. Dear Heavenly Father, you see everybody in here. Statistics show that many people struggle with anxiety. I pray for the people that are burdened, that are laden, with these thoughts and emotions. And I ask that they would just be able to let them go, that you would show them how to walk these things out, how to give thanks, how to be more mindful and cultivate gratitude inside of their hearts. Things that they were grateful for in the moment when they received them and now two years have gone down the line and their car doesn't look as shiny and have that new car smell anymore. I pray that they would find a new reverence and appreciation for that provision you brought into their life that maybe they'd bring out some of their old rifles and say, you know what, Lord, this was a gift from my grandfather, and I've just, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for this rug. I'm grateful for that my wife doesn't let me leave the house without giving me a hug. I've taken that for granted for so long, but that we would have your eyes to see all the blessings and provision around us. And I pray that everybody in this room under the sound of my voice would be set free from the insidious disease of anxiety. And that we would understand that it's more than a feeling, God. It's not, well, I don't feel set free. It's choosing to focus on the things that you've given us, choosing to fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. And God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I know I went a little long, man, but there was something happening inside of this room and I never want to run out on what the Holy Spirit is doing so. Just two things I want to say. If you raise your hand today, we want to get you plugged into this church. This is where you've given your life. We want to get you a Bible. We want to walk you through a discipleship program. So please connect with our team members at Guest Central. If you have something you're battling, our prayer warriors are going to be here. Please come forward. We want to partner with you in faith. And just a reminder child dedication, baptisms, Father's Day invite people. That's another one where you can exercise that by actually opening your mouth and saying, hey, you want to come to church with me? And it's going to be an amazing experience. So thank you all so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.